Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. It's coming home, or is it? Let's find out. Sky Sports' Ben Ransom joins us. Uh, and Ben, Gareth Southgate has announced his team for the FIFA World Cup in Qatar that kicks off later on this week. What did you make of the squad that he put out? Well, first things first, Ricardo. Um, good morning, by the way. Um, thank you for playing my theme tune uh, to get me on air. Um, but also, I think the, that song still references 30 years of hurt. Um, and that was back in 1996. So it's been a fair <laughs> few years uh, more hurt since then. Um, but look, I mean, the squad's gone down pretty well, I think. And the reason being mainly uh, the inclusion of James Madison, because he was a player that a lot of people believed should have been in the squad because of his uh, his form over the last, certainly last couple of months. Uh, he's been fantastic um, and he's kind of picked up where he left off at the end of last season. But many felt that Gareth Southgate wouldn't pick him because he has struggled to break into the squad in recent, uh, in recent times. So to get that call up, I think was quite exciting, albeit then <laughs> yesterday we saw him uh, go off uh, potentially injured, but he says he's going to be all right. Um, and apart from that, I think it's pretty much as you'd expect a couple of um, risky calls, perhaps a couple of players coming back from injury that may or may not be fit for the group stages. But look, I mean, he's got 26 players, so I suppose it's slightly easier for him to kind of navigate that than it would have been in tournaments gone by. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, move taking Madison. And also, I think you could probably read something into it with Conor Gallagher too, looking at the group USA, Iran and Wales Traditionally in the big games, Southgate's played a 3-4-3 with two sort of sitting midfielders, if you like, and there's not really room for a 10 in there. Um, Gallagher and uh, Madison, neither of them really fit into that 3-4-3 really, so that would suggest that maybe with those three games where they have to be more on the front foot, they're looking at changing formation and the way that they do things? Yeah, it would suggest that. It gives him options, certainly. Um, You're right, the 3-4-3, the kind of solid defensive uh, shape has been one that he's favoured but that doesn't really include Jude Bellingham either does it if you think about it because if you think back to the Euros you're right about those two holding midfielders look Declan Rice is an automatic pick and in the Euros so was Calvin Phillips alongside him now Phillips is the difficult one he's one of those players who is not yet fully fit after injury when I say fully fit he has been back training with Man City but he's not started games so he's not match fit and the World Cup it starts in a week. I mean, there's no time. There's no two or three weeks to play a load of friendlies and get yourself ready. 
we literally straight into it. So that is a risk. Um, in pre-recent games, he's paired Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice, which Bellingham's a kind of box-to-box midfielder who could do it all. I mean, he's magnificent as a player, albeit very young. So he would potentially work in that role, but then it's a lot to put on his shoulders. So I think you're right. It looks as though, certainly for uh, those games, certainly for Iran, certainly for the USA, we'll see maybe a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-1-3-2, something like that. Um which gives him that flexibility. And you're right, it means that a Madison uh, can, can fit into that system much easier. And it also means potentially Harry Kane can get a bit of support up front if need be. Maybe Raheem Sterling playing closer to him or Callum Wilson, as you say, good form. Uh, he's been included in the squad as well. Now, I noticed that uh, Gary Neville um, and Jamie Carragher, both former England defenders, have said that they've looked at the defenders he's named and they don't see a a central defensive pairing um, if he is going to play a you know two rather than a three at the back. Um, and I look through there and I think, well, you know, Ben White at Arsenal has been playing a lot of right back. Harry Maguire hasn't exactly been on form. Eric Dyer has not exactly been on form. John Stones has been a bit in and out with injury. And Connor Cody probably works better in a three than he does in a two. So uh, who do you expect to be the starting two if they play a back four? Um, I mean, I, I just think he'll go with what he knows. I, I actually think that it'll just be Maguire and Stones if he goes for a two um, because they played so well in the Euros together. John Stones is magnificent. I think he's uh, he's come on again. He's a really good footballer. Um, and if you play that with, you know, Kieran Trippi has got a lot of experience now. Um, he's been playing very well for Newcastle and Luke Short the other side. I think that, I think that's, that's your back four. I think you're right about Connor Cody. He plays better in a three. Although for Everton, I will point out, he's actually played pretty well um, alongside James Tarkowski. So he has put aside any doubts about him being able to play in that particular system. Um, Eric Dyer, again, I think he's better in a three. He is a player who, if you remember, played a lot of games in defensive midfield. He's that kind of like third defender, a bit of a sweeper type in a way. But again, under Antonio Conte, he's developed a lot. There are still mistakes in him. And I think that would be the worry about all the defenders, really, is that, you, I mean, to a man, pretty much, if you put that England defensive squad together, you can probably say, yeah, he can make a mistake. Yeah, he has made a mistake. So that's where England may suffer a little bit. So it'll be about the structure and giving them the, the shape to be able to perform. But I, I think, actually, you never know. It might be a blessing that Harry Maguire hasn't played a great deal of football because out of all the players going to the World Cup, he's going to have plenty of minutes in his legs that he, you know, he's going to be fresh. Uh, and actually, that defensive two, Stones and Maguire know each other pretty well. So that, that's what I fancy anyway. Mm, yeah, interesting. I mean, it's not like England are blessed at the moment with a lot of centre-backs. I mean, Tamori at AC Milan has been the only one that sort of people have said, why is he not there? But on the flip side of that, plenty of attacking talent in the uh, uh, that Gareth Southgate can uh, choose from at the moment. And if we talk about people having poor seasons, I'd have to say Raheem Sterling's right up there. Um, so has there been much talk about or you know conversation around his selection? Because, I mean, there's plenty of guys that have had better seasons than him. Uh, you know, Ivan Tony, even Danny Welbeck. You know, there's, there's players there that you could select that have probably had better seasons than Raheem Sterling. Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. Absolutely. He's not exactly uh, set the world alight since moving to Chelsea. But then Chelsea have struggled a little bit, haven't they? I mean, Thomas Tuchel going, Graham Potter coming in, trying to get his ideas across. Raheem Sterling in recent weeks being used as kind of an auxiliary like wing back has been a little bit strange. Um, clearly, that's not where he likes playing. But then... Again, you only have to rewind to the Euros and Raheem Sterling didn't have the greatest of seasons for Man City. If you remember, he was in and out the team under Pep. And yet for England, he was an absolute star. 
Um, I think his experience, again, it goes back to what I was saying about having a 26-man mm. squad. I mean, we go back, don't we, to tournaments past. And certainly being an England fan, I've sat there with my mates debating till the early hours who would be in a 23 that's so much more difficult to pick than a 26 because there's a, in the old days there was a 23 and then you'd always have three kind of standby players that you would say, well, they deserve to get in, but I'm going to go with an extra striker or I'm going to have an extra midfielder or whatever. Well, he can have it all. And I think he has had it all. Um, there's enough attacking players there. I don't know how many are even going to get on the pitch, really, because um, if he does play a front three, you'd imagine Phil Foden would have, uh, would have his hand up to be included. Marcus Rashford has come back into form in the last month, really. Before that, you'd have said he was never going to get in the World Cup squad, given the way he ended last year and started this one. So there are players who have played themselves in, but then Bakayo Saka, you'd say he's probably a starter too. So maybe Raheem Sterling doesn't start, but what Gareth does have there is a player he can trust in and around the group. Mm, yeah, no, it's interesting, actually. It's an interesting group that he's selected. Uh, ben, we should also uh, talk a few other things, mate. Uh, some celebration uh, from your point of view. Uh, T20 World Cup champions, England. Um, I wasn't sure that we were going to get a ball bowl because the weather forecast in Melbourne was terrible for this week, but you managed to get uh, the final done and dusted and uh, put away Pakistan pretty comfortably in the end. Yeah, I must admit, I did think maybe Duckworth and Lewis would be opening uh, for England. But no, <laughs> thankfully not. Thankfully, we managed to get through. I think um, when Pakistan were struggling in their innings, batting first, when England had those wickets, when they were restricting the runs and they were... And I think they were going at about five and over, weren't they, for the final few overs of that final. Um, eight down in the end. Setting England a target to win of 138, you thought, even though the conditions clearly favour the bowlers a little bit, England have got enough here. They've been the best team, the best batting team through the whole tournament. And nowhere did we see that more than against India in the semi-final. You really thought they'd, they'd knock them off. So when they lost Alex Hales fairly early, you thought, OK, well, maybe there's something in it. And then to be fair to Pakistan, they bowled really well in that middle period, didn't they? Just to restrict England's run rate and just make it seem like it would be, we would have a game. And then comes the crease, Ben Stokes. And... Look, you guys down there know what he can do in finals. He, again, seems to love the big stage, the big occasion. He loves the pressure. And I thought he was absolutely magnificent because he just, he kept the innings ticking over. He hit the big shots when he had to. But what he did was he gave England that platform. And as it got nearer to the end, you just felt there's no way England's going to lose this. And it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? The turnarounds in in English one day cricket and just how dominant they've become, having won the 50 over World Cup and now back that up with T20 success as the favourites. England don't do this. England do not go into tournaments of any sort as the favourites and deliver. Uh, so fantastic from everyone in the squad. All the players had to play a part. We had our own injuries. I know Pakistan suffered in the final, but for example, having Mark Wood unavailable. But Sam Curran bowled absolutely brilliantly in that first inning. So look, I think it was a fantastic effort. And yeah, I, I think this group deserve a lot of plaudits for the way they go about playing the game. Yeah, they played a fantastic tournament and uh, well done to them, mate. I uh, wasn't so uh, happy for you in the Rugby League semi-final against Samoa. I mean, uh, that was a turn-up for the books, wasn't it? A team you'd beaten 66 in pool play knocks you over in the in the, uh, in the semi-final. Yeah, I, I think you saw it from the coach, Sean Wayne, afterwards, didn't you? A bit of a tear in his eye. I think he, he realised that it's a missed opportunity. And this is more like England sport at major tournaments because you're right absolutely humbled Samoa uh, straight away out the blocks at the start of the tournament. Um, 
I seem to remember before that game, all the talk was, I think, certainly from uh, some of the pundits down in your part of the world, that England had no chance. So to blitz them as they did, I think, was really impressive and to play some good rugby league as well. Um, obviously, they would have been confident going into this semi. Uh, they would have been confident of reaching a final, giving England another big uh, ceremonial set piece. Um, but yeah, look, a game full of drama. I mean, what a contest. Samoa, you've got to hand to them because they were, they probably should have had the game buried earlier than they did. But uh, England to keep coming back, coming back, you just felt maybe at the end the momentum was there. So again, for Samoa to just get over the line, credit to them, because that is a really impressive effort, especially the way that obviously the squad has been knitted together. Um, but I mean, England, I think, can go out of the tournament with a lot of pride, albeit it's obviously very sore right now because there's a lot of disappointment in that group. I think they felt as though being at home, they were on the verge of something really special. Yeah, and I mean, your, your England women's rugby team were on the verge of something special as well, weren't they? I mean, uh, that final was... Uh, would have been 30 games unbeaten if they'd managed to, to, to beat the Black Ferns and it would have uh, ended in a World Cup win as well. Yeah. Sort of echoes of uh, the All Blacks in, in years gone by where they would be the best teams between World Cups but couldn't quite get it done at tournaments. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's, it's exactly that. That's kind of struck me too. Um, yeah, they've not lost the game since 2019. Now, I know we had COVID in the middle of that, but that is a remarkable run of results. And then... To come so close, uh, I mean, you've got to feel for all of the girls involved. Um, the opportunity to cement themselves and to really, I mean, they will have, people had an interest in this. That's what's great about women's sport over the last few years is the increased profile it's getting in this country in terms of media coverage and in terms of interest as well. As fans, we now talk about it a lot more than we ever did before. We know when these games are on. We're engaged as a as a as a kind of a sporting public, and I think that's fantastic. And it's what they are doing is runs like this to the final, albeit heartbreaking defeat in the end. We're getting to recognise the achievements of some fantastic athletes, and it's inspiring a whole generation. And I absolutely love that. Um, I mean, look, I I was at the uh, the world. Super welterweight title fight, unification fight last night. Natasha Jonas, one of our, I mean, boxing pioneer. London 2012, first boxer, female boxer to box for Team GB. Came up short, you remember, against Katie Taylor in Epic. Um, they've since had a rematch. I mean, she's now 38. And it's taken her until her 38th year to get her hands on a world title. One of our best female fighters. But you thought for a long time she was not going to get the prestige. And then... Lo and behold, last night she's headlining an event in Manchester in front of nearly 10,000 fans who have come out to see her and see that action. And I think that just shows this calendar year specifically how much interest in women's sport has grown and for the athletes themselves, some well-deserved recognition. Yeah, indeed. Good stuff, Ben. Thanks very much for your time, mate. We'll let you go and enjoy your evening and uh, no doubt catch up with you over the World Cup, eh? Yeah, a week to go. Crazy, isn't it? It's going to be here before we know it. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.